1: The following program was pre recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart, plain talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker, a Parker Daniels keyboard, wise counsel, winning results.
0: Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections. It's Sunday, 4 o'clock, and that means... Well, what does that mean? It means it's the best hour in radio of the week. You know it. Thank you once again for joining us for the Victory Hour, where each Sunday from 4 to 5, and then again from 6 to 7 on our sister station, Freedom 1570, We talk politics, Israel, and the law. And this week, it'll be a focus on the Jewish state of Israel, the state of which my son is a citizen. He is there presently uh, living and received his master's degree from the same school as our guest today received a degree, that is IDC Herzliya. And speaking of our guest, we are joined by Daniel Asheim from the Consulate General in Chicago, from the State of Israel to the Midwest. He's the Consul for Public Diplomacy, and uh, he deals with uh, the media and uh, business sectors on diplomacy issues and can talk to us about all things. Uh, State of Israel. And we're thrilled and honored to have uh, Daniel with us. Daniel, thank you very much for joining us on the Victory Hour.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew. Excited to be on the show.
0: So, uh, a few weeks ago, we had the Consul General from the Consulate of Eve Ezra on the show, and I think it was probably his third visit. Uh, But I wanted to have uh, Daniel on today to talk about what's currently going on in the state of Israel as it relates to COVID, which halted my trip to the state of Israel. I'd be there right now. Yeah, boo. I would actually be staying, and this is close to the heart of Daniel Asheim. I would be staying uh, last night and tonight at the King David Hotel in Jerusalem, Had our trip gone forward. We've moved it to December. And the reason I say it's close to the heart of Daniel Ashheim is uh, he was the concierge for a number of years at the King David Hotel. If you've never been there, it's one of the greatest hotels anywhere uh, in the world. Daniel, what can you tell us about those years? They must have been very interesting.
1: You're right. It's part of my heart. I still don't have a plaque there on my name, even though I feel like it's connected to me. So I think these five years of experience as a concierge there really was a door opener to the diplomatic world. I think what you learned during that time, what I learned working with people coming from all around the world, from film stars, politicians, presidents, kings, queens, Hollywood stars, And on the one hand, on the other hand, working with all the business suppliers, the restaurants, the owners, the taxi drivers, and your colleagues, you learn so much about people-to-people interaction, relationship building, business. I think it's a phenomenal job, and I recommend everyone who finishes university or during university to have such an experience.
0: Let me just ask you, did you know Sheldon? Sheldon was my favorite at the King David. He would set us up every year that we went. The famous Sheldon Rich. That's right. <laughs> there he is. You know, it's mishpucha. We're all together,
1: of course. Of so it doesn't work there anymore, but yeah, no. of course, for many years.
0: Yeah, he was there for a long, long time. Uh, now, uh, you know, the other experience that you've had, Daniel, uh, other than your, you know, your educational background, which is immense and and uh, uh, serious background in world dipl- diplomatic matters is uh, you worked in West Africa, where you served as the deputy chief of mission at the Israeli embassy in Dakar, uh, Senegal. Uh, describe that experience for us a little bit and how that fits into where you are today.
1: So, yes, Andrew, so you're right. I was there for two years with my wife. We adopted our dog, Tommy, from mm-hmm. and during our time in Senegal. She's with us here in Chicago. And it was a phenomenal, challenging great unique experience i think being an israeli diplomat representing israel in west africa was a great honor as we developed unique programs they're bringing the israeli know-how work together with senegalese with young entrepreneurs with academia of the private sector with the government on helping them build the ecosystem for innovation using the israeli know-how model sending young entrepreneurs to israel phenomenal experience i inaugurated unique educational programs in the rural areas of the gambia i went to i went to for restorations of an old jewish cemetery from the 19th century in the islands of cape verde these are things lifetime experiences once in a lifetime experience so now what is your portfolio
0: here in the united states i know you are commissioned out of chicago the consulate in chicago Uh, and and describe your your diplomatic work for the state of Israel here uh, out of Chicago.
1: So you're right. So the Consul General of Israel to the Midwest covers nine Midwestern states, including, of course, the state of Minnesota. We are based in Chicago. My role as Consul for Public Diplomacy is outreach to the Jewish communities, to the cultural world, academia, media, press, social media, special projects, and many, many more responsibilities. And our job as a consulate is to outreach, to build ties between Israel and the Midwest, and the Midwest and Israel, whether it's in the field of economic relations, political relationship building, community outreach, African American, Latin American, and Jewish communities, and everyone we can imagine, of course the Christian communities, to work together to build bridges and show how Israel can be beneficial to the local Midwestern communities here. You know, uh,
0: Daniel, COVID has hit everybody uh, hard. Uh, What is the message from Israel as to how Israel handled COVID, how it fared, and what the current status is today?
1: So, Andrew, COVID, as we know, is so surprising, and there was so much trial and error in the world with this pandemic, so many unknown factors. What we do know is and that we saw in Israel, the vaccinations work. And Israel was one of the leading in the world in the number of, in the percentage of people who got vaccinated in a very early stage. And Israel was able to open many, of its economy is virtually completely open today. The whole country for already a few months. And of course, we are seeing another surge, another wave of people who are positive. Nevertheless, the amount of hospitalization is remaining very low. Thanks for the vaccination project. So I think Israel could be a model for successful operation that really led to opening, gradual opening of the economy together with the vaccination program and the work between the government, the people and, and the workforce, everything combined together. Of course, there were challenges, many challenges along the way. But I think we reached an equilibrium and we're working together with our friends also in the United States. I think the United States is is coming to a very good, uh, they're improving dramatically also the vaccination rates. And I think, I really hope, I can't think, we don't know anything about it, too many unknown things. But I am praying that this is going to be behind us, that the following months will bring us back to normality again and we'll live our normal lives back.
0: You know, uh, uh, I, I, want, I know you're very familiar with Startup Nation, and you've spoken about that book, that Israel is identified as a startup nation, and as it relates to COVID-19, had a big hand in uh, developing the vaccines that are now being used, not just in Israel, but around the world and being shared with the world. What can you say about Israel as an innovator, an inventor, uh, as a light into the nation's?
1: you're right so a lot of the technologies the world technologies came from israel the startup nation small country but with a lot of great ideas so whether it comes from the field of agriculture technologies health tech which was very relevant during the pandemic food tech but especially in the health technologies a lot of the quick testing models were developed in israel so a lot of the we used to work with medical, medical care, which is remote before the pandemic, part of the Israeli health system. So these technologies that were introduced in Israel are shared with the world, and we are proud to share this knowledge with the world, with the developing world, with the developed world, in order to make we are in the end one. The humanity is one. We are all together on this pandemic. We need to fight it together. And I'm proud that with the Israeli technologies, it helped the world and will help the world overcome this, this challenge. Last question
0: before a quick break uh, that we'll need to take, Daniel. Uh, you know, people here, Israel, they they see uh, in the media here in the United States and uh, in uh, Western Europe uh, uh, a, a negative picture, a picture of of uh, bombs and explosions and war and response and people to blame, etc. But it's a much more positive picture than that. And we were getting that toward the end of the Trump administration with some of the peace process and and uh, peace deals that were being made. Where does that stand? What can people hold on to as some hope for the future related to peace?
1: So I want to say one thing. We are now not anymore a war between Israel and the Arab countries. We're here, and we are differentiating between the moderates Arab countries who want peace and to achieve a better future for their people and for the Middle East, and between those extremists who do everything to undermine undermine the, the stable reality on the ground. And we see what the BDS tried to do here with Ben and Jerry's. I was a big fan of the Cherry Garcia ice cream. No yeah,
0: Cherry Garcia, no more.
1: No more, no more, and we'll not let those who are trying to do everything possible again to work against peace and while ignoring atrocities all over the world and blaming the only Jewish state in these in the things in the world, singling out Israel, what they tried to do, Ben and Jerry's is a great example for that. We are saying the opposite. We'll not let BDS win. We'll let cooperation and partnership win, like the Abraham Accords. will sign on more peace agreements with the moderate factors here, in the Middle East, or not here, in the Middle East, in Israel, and we'll find more agreements, we'll get towards peace, we'll not let those who want to boycott win, we'll let peace win. A beautiful refrain
0: and, uh, you know, a a wonderful message to take uh, this short break. Uh, Daniel uh, Asheim, uh, Consul for Public Diplomacy, from the consulate, from the state of Israel to the Midwest here in the United States, thank you very much for being with us on the Victory Hour. We appreciate it. We're going to have you back uh, sooner than you think, Daniel, if uh, if possible, and if you'll have us.
1: Anytime, anytime. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Appreciate it very much. That's Daniel
0: Ashheim, Counsel for Public Diplomacy, the Consulate General Office, uh, State of Israel. To the Midwest, joining us on the Victory Hour. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Middle East. We're going to talk about Ben and Jerry's a little bit. Uh, And what is your favorite ice cream? Think about that on this break. As you are looking at one of the best websites you'll see anywhere, parkerdk.com, stay with us. We are back. It's the victory hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and each week you listen coast to coast, California to New York, Florida up to North Dakota, uh, you know, and beyond. In Canada, the UK, and in Israel, certainly. I've got a nice contingent of regular listeners in the state of Israel. They listen over there at midnight. On Sundays, uh, very easy for them to remember, and it's kind of a late night cultural scene there in Israel, particularly in Tel Aviv, uh, a beautiful city. What are the, I, I think it's, I think it's listed regularly in the top five cities in the world, Tel Aviv, uh, to visit and even to live. Um, uh, in terms of its culture, of its diversity, of uh, its openness, of its democracy, uh, freedom of thought and ideas, uh, all there along with the beach. <laughs> I mean, you kidding me? The beach. Tel Aviv Beach, is, it's just beautiful. And I'm going to be there uh, come uh, December, God willing. Didn't work out. Uh, I, I would be there right right here today. was going to be there. I was all set. You have to get a permit now to get into Israel. You got to go through the consulate. You'd think I'd be able to pull a few strings to do it. No strings, no strings. Uh huh. I waited in line, uh, but it didn't work out. And that's uh, you know the state of Israel, about seven million people, and um, Israel proper, and and they uh, uh, they're really a laboratory for the world in terms of. How to deal with, how they're dealing with uh, COVID-19. And, and Daniel Ashe, I made it, made a very good point of this, uh, saying that it can be an example of how the world can deal with these issues of pandemic, of public health, and how to respond, because it is a you know, it's a smaller group of people that you can get your arms around and assess the control nature. The vaccinations in Israel occurred over several weeks, uh, but they reached the level of full vaccination. You know, not literally full vaccination, but effectively for purposes of the vaccine. And it is uh, showing real benefit. Um, But the other thing that Daniel Asheim talked about uh, a little bit, was the peace process. And, you know, let's take a look at, in context, the peace process as it relates to Ben & Jerry's uh, determination to stop selling Ben & Jerry's ice cream in Areas that they identify as and claim are occupied Palestinian territory, OPT, they call it, occupied Palestinian territory. Uh, First off, is it occupied as that term is defined in international law? No, it's, it's not. And is it Palestinian territory? No, it's not. As we have talked about on this show before, who are the indigenous people in the Middle East, in the state of Israel, uh, the, the physical area of the state of Israel? Who are the indigenous people there? Is it the Palestinians that are indigenous to that area? No, it's not. Before Islam even existed, Jews were in that area, lived in that area, controlled. In fact, it was their capital, not once but twice. Now, the fact that Jews have been slaughtered, destroyed, made to either convert or die, and sent into exile repeatedly from this area, does not change the fact that they are the indigenous people Of the area. And so, you know, whether you use that as an argument for your policy to apply today in the Middle East as it relates to the Arab Israeli conflict or the Palestinian Israeli conflict is another question. And I am not raising this in order to make that an argument for what our policy should be to achieve peace. On the other hand, it is a foundational matter that cannot be ignored and should not be ignored. And certainly, that history should not be revised, changed, lied about. And that's what's happening. And it's happening when you have those who are ignorant, like Ben and Jerry. And their leftist religious attitude of zealotry to go in and say, well, we, you know, how can you say that we're uh, not correct, that this is occupied Palestinian territory? Millions of people believe that around the world. Well, you know, millions, in fact, almost everyone believed the earth was flat, too. That doesn't mean it's correct. Millions believed that the Wuhan virus Began uh, and emanated from uh, a wet market in uh, Wuhan. Not from a virology lab, which now is pretty much being accepted by all those who know. Even in uh, the government that doesn't want to accept it. They have to accept it. So, what... You know, just because the masses believe something. Listen, the masses believe something in Nazi Germany, too. Uh, They did, and it was horrific. And they were led astray. I'm not comparing, certainly, uh, the the, uh, the horrors of the Holocaust with anything else. But I am saying that that can happen. So... The reality is that even before, and by the way, because of settlements in occupied Palestinian territory, Ben and Jerry's is not selling in those areas. Uh, They have no problem selling in other areas of the world where the horrors are far worse than Jews wanting to live in land that they have reestablished as their own that always was theirs. Uh, But Ben and Jerry have decided, uh, no, you've got to give that back. And by the way, you should give it back to those who want to murder you and destroy you as a nation. That's who you should give it back to. And they have not disavowed it. They have not apologized for it. They have not changed any of that. You should still give it back to them. When in fact, it's not giving it back to them at all because it originally was not theirs. Can't ignore the Native American community here and the comparisons. You cannot ignore them. Eh, We're going to take a short break from these pearls of wisdom. and (laughs) Actually, they're not really pearls of wisdom. They're just, I, you know, some uh, different thoughts for you to take it or leave it. Consider. Roll around in it a little bit. See what you think. Go to ParkerDK.com on this short break. Uh, you know, some have referred to this website as award-winning, believe it or not. Yeah, when you see it, you'll know why. ParkerDK.com will be right back. Stay with us. What are you listening to? You're listening to the Victory Hour! 1280 AM, The Patriot. I'm Andrew Parker, and uh, each Sunday, Politics, Israel, and the Law. This week, we're talking about the Middle East. We're opened with uh, Daniel Ashheim from the Consulate General out of Chicago for the State of Israel to the Midwest here in the United States, covering nine states, including the state of Minnesota. And... Uh, Daniel is the Consul for Public Diplomacy, and it was very interesting to hear his thoughts about Israel's handling of COVID as well as uh, the Abraham Accords. Uh, and since then, we've been talking about Ben and Jerry's decision to, what, what did Ben and Jerry's really do? I mean, yeah, they, they are preventing uh, people from enjoying their ice cream, Uh, There are many other ice creams, Uh, and Ben and Jerry's stands for a number of things that I don't agree with. I think they are harmful in a number of ways in terms of their political views, to uh, and for minority communities, for uh, the poor, for those who cannot help themselves. All of these things, Ben and Jerry's policies, Uh, hurt, harm, those on the lower end of the economic spectrum from middle on down who now have to deal with uh, rising costs of everything through inflation, rising costs of energy, of gas at the pump you know the wealthy they, they don't care they go to the store the 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 loaf of bread is a dollar the next week it's 2 dollars okay well you think that dollar hurts them over time and and money it it does hurt those who are living on a fixed budget and those who have to budget day in day out and there are millions who do And these policies of spend, 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 tax, 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 take money out of the market or out of the marketplace, give it to the government to move it around, defeat the efficiency of the marketplace and competition, uh, do all of that and throw money and just print it, you're going to get inflation. And you're going to get unemployment at the same time. Happened with Jimmy Carter. We saw it. We have an example of it. We also have an example how to get out of it. That's Ronald Reagan. Got out of it within three years, and Donald Trump got out of what Barack Obama slowly was trying—you know, with with liberal policies—took eight years to start to creep out of what had occurred with the bubble bursting in the mortgage industry and, and the markets and the uh, fraud that was occurring it was crawling out. Well, Donald Trump put it all on steroids and within three years, again, with policies uh, that just simply made sense. Trade policy as well as Tax policy, an enormous tax shift, jump-starting the economy, GDP, and everybody joined in. Well, Ben and Jerry's doesn't agree with any of that. And so Ben and Jerry's decided, well, we're going to make a statement about the state of Israel and the settlements uh, in occupied Palestinian territory, OPT. That's what they call it. And I've uh, I just explained on the other side of the break. Go back and rewind if you want to hear it again uh, about uh, why it isn't occupied Palestinian territory, why that's a complete misnomer. But what is What is the real problem with Ben and Jerry's saying, "ah, no more ice cream in these areas? They're making a political statement. And once again, Ben and Jerry's political position hurts people. It doesn't help them. You think it helps the Palestinians? For two primary reasons it doesn't. Number one, the less important reason, but important nonetheless. Palestinians are going to lose their jobs in these areas. They're going to become unemployed in these areas. It's already started. Not because of spite by anyone, but because... They're not selling the product anymore, and many of the jobs in those areas are jobs held by Palestinians. But the second and much more important reason why it is not helpful for the Palestinians at all, nor for anyone who believes and is peace-loving and who believes in freedom and who believes in having a Palestinian state someday, that, does not, that is not grounded in terror, by the way, but a Palestinian state one day. What is it that they're doing that is contrary to people who believe that? It's They're giving cover. By Ben and Jerry's doing this and making this, it's not about the ice cream. It's making this big political statement on their soapbox which they have a little soapbox. You know, it's Ben and Jerry's. A lot of people have eaten it. It's out in all the supermarkets across the country. Everyone sees it. They know it. They got a little soapbox. They stand on there. And what do they do? They give cover. They give cover to the haters. They give cover to those who do not want peace, to those who stand in the way of peace. Those on the fringe. That's who they give cover to. Those who have who launched thousands of rockets unprovoked into the state of Israel. Oh, it was provoked because uh, the, the, the judiciary issued a ruling allowing certain Jewish land to go back to their Jewish homeowners or landowners. Well, yeah, it is a country of laws with a Supreme Court and just, you know, a country of laws like ours. And when you lose in court, you don't start launching rockets. By the way, most of these court decisions, many, many, many of them, I don't know if it's most, but many, many of them, and it may well be most, when it comes to land rights, you know, they come down in favor of uh, Muslims, Jews, Christians. It's not driven by religion, and that can be seen by the number of permits that have been issued in Palestinian areas to Palestinians, to Muslims. Hundreds and hundreds of them. You go to Israel and you look and you see the construction in the Palestinian areas is expansive. So, unprovoked they launched thousands of rockets into the state of israel i'm talking now think about this because it isn't much different the state of israel you know in terms of you know what they do there it's a peace living peace loving people who send their kids to kindergarten and elementary school just like you and i who go to the grocery store who are taking care of themselves and their community and their businesses, who are farmers, who are stockbrokers, lawyers, doctors. They pick up the garbage just like we do. It's regular society and thousands of rockets are being launched right into the Israel proper. Now, thank God They had defenses that they created, invented, innovated. And thank God that the United States is going to get the benefit of that. And that the United States was able to help with that. Because otherwise, the death and maiming and destruction would have been catastrophic to this small Jewish state. Still only 75 years old. 76, right? And Ben and Jerry's gives cover to those who fired the Rockets. They reward those for firing the Rockets. They appease and enhance the likelihood that it's going to happen again. That is the trouble with Ben and Jerry's. And who does that hurt the most? It hurts the Palestinians the most. Remember. Remember. The Palestinians, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times. It might have been five times, depending on how you're counting, but at least five times. Rejected proposals... To give them their own country. Oh well, you know they they didn't have uh, they had this problem with it. They had that problem with it. They didn't have continuous t- t- contiguous land. They didn't. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't completely an uncompromised proposal. No, there was compromise, but very little. None on the Palestinian side. They rejected it. But on at least a couple of those proposals, 98% of all the land that was requested was provided. 98%. And there were some land swaps, and it could have been done. But no, the reason they didn't do it is because, and you can go and get this from a poll from of, of the people in the Palestinian territories is because they don't want land there if Israel is going to live next to them. No Jewish state. That's where the leadership is at, and that's where a majority of the Palestinian people are at. Now, there are many that are not there. That's true. Many. But not the majority. And they elect and then re-elect Hamas. All right, we're going to be back after this short break. We're going to talk a little bit about transgender policy here in the United States. You don't want to miss that. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Go to ParkerDK.com. Are back it's the victory hour I'm Andrew Parker and we've been talking about the Middle East during uh, today's show as we had Daniel Asheim on earlier in the show who uh, is the consul for public diplomacy from the Consul General's office of Israel in the mid uh, from the state of Israel to the Midwest here in the United States and if you missed it if you missed any part of it you can listen to the replay of on Freedom 1570 at 6 p.m. Central Time. Or you can get the podcast. It'll be uh, available after the show, certainly tomorrow morning. Pull up the podcast and uh, see, if, see what you think of the monologue here today on the Victory Hour. Listen, as I indicated on the other side of the break, uh, California has decided to, well, how, how, how best to put it, uh, to take it a step further. this The idea that while follow the science is the big watchword for the left, of course, they don't follow the science if it doesn't meet their leftist ideology. Now, you know, People get upset. They they say, "Why why is snarky? Why why do you, you get sarcastic about about that?" Well, you know, I shouldn't, but it's it's disturbing that things uh, that clearly are hypocritical are applied nonetheless because of the. Leftist mantras, the the well, the litmus tests that are given to different policy to determine whether they meet leftist constitutional thought, not U.S. constitutional thought, but the leftist constitution. And California is is taking it a step further in the area of transgender. Uh, I don't know if you saw this news article earlier this week, California is now giving female inmates condoms uh, after the state has forced them to stay, that is the female inmates, to stay with transgender inmates. Inmates in California are now housed according to their proclaimed gender identity. Signed into law by Gavin Newsom, it states the law states that prison officers must privately ask inmates in the intake process if they identify as transgender, non-binary, or intersex. Inmates can then request a move to the facility that houses other inmates in line with their preferred identity. The result of this is that anatomically male inmates are being housed with anatomically female inmates because of the way in which they identify now, interestingly, the Women's Liberation Front, which is a left-wing feminist organization, is appalled by this, as they arguably should be, I suppose, based upon their ideology, their policy ideas. So they oppose gender identity legislation due to its negative effects upon women and children. Uh, And they revealed what the state of California Correction uh, Department is doing with respect to contraceptives uh, in these prisons. And the policy is that women incarcerated in California's largest women's prison are describing the conditions as, quote, a nightmare's worst nightmare, close quote, after the introduction of new pregnancy resources under the, uh, well, in Central California Women's Facility. The new resources are a tacit admission by officials that women should expect to be raped, this according to the Women's Liberation Front, when housed in prison with men, where all sex is considered non-consensual by default within that system. So in order to avoid the pregnancy issue... What they uh, have decided to do is give out condoms rather than change the rule where men and women are being housed together. It's an admission of failure, isn't it? I mean, it seems to be an admission of failure. I was a little bit shocked when I read the article, but, you know, I wanted to report on it. I'm not giving my judgment, you're passing my judgment on it. You can consider. What you think, maybe you want to dig some more information up and see what Gavin Newsom's opinion is of that subject. Uh, In addition, it was reported this week along these same lines that Oregon middle school educators uh, were fired. A couple of uh, educators were fired for emailing Ben Shapiro. And they were fired because there was such an outpouring of rage as a result by other people uh, that the school said, oh, that was political, too political, obviously, since there was such outrage. And therefore, uh, you know, you have violated this or that policy about making political statements. So if it were a left-wing political statement, with right-wing outrage, I wonder whether these folks would have uh, been terminated. And this is all part of the cancel culture. Uh, it If you're going to lose your job by speaking out, I don't know. People might not speak out. It may have a chilling effect. Yeah, I think it will. And so when you read articles like this and you're a school teacher and you have thoughts about, you know, that you normally would email about and others in your group do. God knows uh, the the left community in the public education sphere is enormous and they have no problem sending out emails or tweets on political issues. Why? Because it's an echo chamber and everyone agrees. So if you don't agree and you send one out, you get pilloried and attacked. And then they say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And they fire you. We are going to have a single voice in this country if it continues down this path. Period. And people need to stand up and take a stand. You know, you can agree with Mike Lindell, you can disagree with Mike Lindell. You can think that this idea is crazy, that one's nutty. It doesn't matter. That's his opinion, his judgment. And he says it, but believing it to his core. And few lawyers will take it on. Parker Daniels Keyboard will. That's it for this week. Till next week, have a great week you've been listening to the victory hour with andrew parker of parker daniels keyboard wise counsel winning results for more information go to parkerdk.com until next time he leaves you with these words from winston churchill all the great things are simple and many can be expressed in a single word freedom justice honor duty mercy, and hope.